So, quick question, who was here last week and had just as busy of a week this week? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, it seems like sometimes despite our best efforts, we go ahead and, and still just stay, stay busy. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned last week we're right in the middle of, uh, you know, back to school stuff and we're, we're, every day this past week was the first full week back to school for our kids. So every day we tried a little different routine in the morning because it's, you know, the first year of dropping off at two different schools that are a block apart and drop off times are 30 minutes apart. So it's like, okay, well, let's, let's try leaving at 7.20 this morning. Okay, now 7.30. Okay, now maybe 7.15 because, you know, you've got to get there in plenty of time to, to explore a building that you don't even know yet. And then we'll go sit in the uh, next drop-off line for 25 minutes and do nothing because you can't just go sit on the bench right there waiting. You know, you'd rather sit in the seat right here with the car not running than sit right there. And, you know, it's rationalizing with a third grader and um, having a good time with that. Hey, we'd like to welcome you to Crossroads this morning. If you're here in person, if you're joining us online, uh, glad that you're here. Um, just so you guys know, we were supposed to have a soccer game at 1 o'clock for my middle daughter. That got canceled, so I'm in no rush this morning. I got plenty of time. <laughs> Chiefs played last night. You know, we got all day. And it's going to be so hot out there that, I mean, hey, it's nice and cool in here. So no rush whatsoever. We might just see if the 1045 crowd joins us here in a little bit, okay? Um, but hey, as we jump in this morning, I just I want to give you a quick little self-assessment quiz. I'm, I'm going to throw some questions up here on the screen, um, and I want you to look at these questions, and on your note sheet if you want to, these aren't on your sheet, but if you want, uh, just jot down answers yes or no if this is something that you think maybe applies to you. This is a, a quiz that comes from the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland, Oregon. And he writes his entire book about trying to minimize hurry. And he, he even diagnoses something that he calls hurry sickness. And he says, if you can answer yes to these questions, you may have hurry sickness. Here they are. Do you get irritated easily? Do you get your feelings hurt by something fairly minor? Are you unable to relax even if you're trying? Uh, do you know when to stop? Do you have the capacity to feel another person's pain? Are you disconnected uh, from your calling? Do you have time for basic self-care? Do you regularly turn uh, to various ways to escape? Uh, number nine, are you neglecting your spiritual disciplines? And number ten, do you feel disconnected from God, yourself, or your own soul? Now again, look at these questions. We're going to leave them up here for just a minute. And let me just kind of say what, what he said in his book if you answer yes to these, what it is probably pointing toward. First off, if you get irritated easily, you're, you're suffering from irritability. You just, something can trigger you pretty quickly. Uh, something that you wouldn't normally get upset about upsets you. Uh, number two, your feelings get hurt by something fairly minor. I had a, a, an episode like this uh, several years ago. I just had a little bit of a, of a thyroid imbalance, and I noticed myself sitting at my desk. I would read an email that really was nothing, and I was almost on the verge of tears. Like, I'm not an emotional person, but it's like just I was so off balance within myself, and this is so common for somebody to, to struggle with, but sometimes you get these, and you really don't even have a good medical explanation why it's happening. You're just off, and, and as a result, it's caused hypersensitivity within you. Uh, number three, if you're unable to relax, it just shows you've got restlessness that you're struggling with. If you don't know when to stop, it means you're a workaholic. You just can't stop doing what you're doing because 
If I'm not productive, something's going to go wrong. Uh, if you have the incapacity to feel somebody else's pain, maybe you're struggling with an emotional numbness. It says if you're, if you're disconnected from your calling, it shows your priorities in life are out of order. If you uh, don't have time for basic self-care, you're neglecting yourself. You're not giving yourself just proper physical and mental breaks that you need. If you regularly look for ways to escape, things like overeating or overdrinking or binge watching on TV or burying yourself in social media or finding something to escape what it is you're doing, that's what you're doing. You're finding escapist behaviors. Uh, if you're neglecting your spiritual disciplines, spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, coming to church, going to a Bible study, those things you're supposed to be doing, that's exactly what the question asks. You're simply neglecting your spiritual disciplines. And if you feel disconnected from God, yourself, or others, you could be struggling with just simply isolation. Now again, if you answered yes to those, I don't want to know your answers. And you don't have to share those with anybody else. This is a self-assessment. I'm just curious, and we're going to come back to that here in a minute and explain why. So if you, if you put yes to more than one or two, make a little bit of a note of that, because we're going to explain why. We get this, though. And I would say at times, let's just be honest, there's times all of us are guilty of at least one or two of these. And what happens when we do? The more of these we get guilty of, we start trying to find ways to take care of ourselves. We start trying to find ways to find rest where we can, to buy rest where we can, to whatever we can do to try and eliminate all of these things around us. And what did we say last week? Jesus told us where rest comes from. Matthew 11, this is kind of our theme passage for this series. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will, learn, uh, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, this week I was, was listening to uh, a sermon uh, kind of on some of this same topic and uh, on some of the same theme, and, and I was reading some different articles on this same theme as well, too, and I heard this line that, man, just hit me, because I think, this is me. Like, this, is, this may be a line directed at Kurt, and Kurt alone. But he said in, in this line, our hurried lives are often driven by fear, specifically a fear that we might not be enough, that we might fall behind, and that we might fail. And that was like just a punch in the chest to me. Because all three of those can be me. Like if, when I am the most driven to accomplish something, it's often for one of those three reasons. That I want to prove that I am enough. Or prove that I can keep up with somebody. Or I'm afraid if I don't, that, that everything I'm doing is going to fail. And it's just this mental block that I have. This insecurity that I have that I struggle with. I told you last week, full disclosure, this series may be for Kurt and for Kurt alone. I know that's not the case because several of you have told me this. I'm not the only one that struggles with trying to find time to take my foot off the gas pedal every once in a while. And I think, I think the reason why, again, what we, we mentioned is often, too often, for too many of us, what we accomplish ties to our self-worth. What we do, how important we are, how, how, how valuable we're seen to others, ultimately comes back to what we think about ourselves and how we perceive ourselves, and, and I think more so how we perceive that others perceive us. Well, what we talk about with the Ten Commandments, remember this. We mentioned how the Sabbath is one of the commandments. It's not just a fun suggestion, but specifically it's number four. The first three are vertical, upward relationship between you and God. The last six are outward, horizontal relationship between you and others. Right in between there is where heaven meets earth. 
That's you connecting to God so that you can better connect with yourself and with others. And when we look at the list here, we, we, we kind of talked about how most of these are pretty easy to follow. Number six might be the easiest to follow on the entire list. How many of you have really struggled? Like, man, if I could just stop murdering people today, I'd be okay. Okay, like that's probably not a, a struggle most of us have, right? But not only do we, we look at the list and we say there are some of these, that, yeah, they're pretty easy to follow, and there's one of these that's actually pretty hard to follow, but let's just look at the list too, if, especially those bottom, bottom six things there. You do one of those, you're probably going to what? Feel guilty for it, okay? You commit adultery, you're going to feel guilty for that. You steal something or lie, which, you know, sometimes... Sometimes lying and coveting, those things can happen without realizing it. And you realize what you've done and you feel guilty about that. Number four is one, that not only do we often not do it, we feel guilty when we do it. Like, we, we often skip number four and brag about it. You ever hear somebody go, man, I've not taken a day off in four, four weeks. Look what all I've done. You've got to be like, well, I've murdered somebody every day for four weeks and look what I've done. I can play this game too. I can break commandments just like you can. Now, we don't do that. Why? Because, again, our sense of self-worth is wrapped up in what we accomplish. And when we're taking a rest, we're not accomplishing anything, or so we think. I think, too, that the more we get into that idea of especially bragging about not taking a Sabbath, we're actually breaking another commandment that you don't realize. Because what's happened in that moment is you have made accomplishment and work an idol. And you're actually breaking number two as well. We've got to be very, very careful of this. Remember how we, we read the commandment last week, Exodus chapter 20, says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you will labor and do all your work, but on the seventh is a Sabbath day to the Lord, uh, your God. On it you shall do no, uh, not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. What's fascinating about this commandment, two things. Number one, it is one of only two commandments that has an explanation that goes along with it. Like this one and the one on idolatry have an explanation that come along with them. But this one also has a commentary that comes along with it. Because not only does the writer go a little further into explaining how this commandment should be carried out, then he stops in the next verse and explains why. Verse 11, he says, For in the six days uh, the God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed it and made it holy. Pay attention to those words. We're going to come back to those. It's really going to kind of be the whole point and theme of today. But when you look throughout the Old Testament, there are various Hebrew words that our English Bibles translate as Sabbath. This one in particular, where you read about it in the original spot, back in Genesis chapter 2, and then again here in, in Exodus chapter 20, it's the Hebrew word Shabbat. Now, some of you went on the trip to Israel with us a few months ago, and you heard the word Shabbat quite a bit, because our tour guide, uh, Brent, who is more Oklahoman than I am even, uh, loves to pull out the Hebrew words that he knows and uses them just in a regular sentence. So he wouldn't even say, today's the Sabbath. He would say, today is Shabbat. And what you learn about Shabbat is that the translation for Shabbat is literally to cease or to stop. It just means whatever you're doing, stop doing it. If Brent was a proper Okie, and he, I think he is, 
he would have said the definition of Shabbat is hold your horses. Stop doing what you're doing and just hold on for a moment. What you see with Shabbat, though, especially when you study and look at different groups of people that pay attention to it more than us American Christians do, is it is a very serious command. And when you were, if you were on that trip in Israel, you, you saw the Jewish people, they hold this religiously still to the point where they do nothing that could be translated as work. In fact, uh, when you go on these trips to Israel, often we get into Jerusalem, typically on Friday, which is the beginning of their Sabbath, Friday at sundown. And even something as simple as pushing an elevator button can be considered work for, for them. So every hotel you go into has a bank of elevators that just automatically stop on every single floor all the way up. So all they do is walk in, the door shut, they ride up, they get off. And uh, we, we lovingly refer to them as shabbat evaders while we were over there. And uh, he told us, make sure you don't get on a shabbat evader. It's got a red light on it. Otherwise, you're going to be on that elevator for a very long time. You, you see that scene in Elf where he gets in there, like, hits all the buttons. It's like a Christmas tree. That's, that's a shabbat evader in real life. But, so, you know, it's that simple. But again, there are a group of people who takes this very, very seriously. And I think this is a moment where we... Can learn from them. Because often I think we translate Sabbath as just simply resting. And that's what we talked about last week was resting in God. But the idea of rest that we read, especially when you read in Genesis 2 that God rested, when you go back and look at the language there, the word that is used for rest there, it doesn't mean to relax. It's the word that really is more appropriately translated as to refresh. It's to, to stop and to cease and to reset everything about you, to reset your spiritual equilibrium, to reset your spiritual balance so that you can then move forward again. Think about it like this. If you take a can of Coke like this and we're just to shake it up really good. Scott, you want to open this for me? Okay. okay. What's going to happen? If I open this right now, what's going to happen? <laughs> what should I do instead? Let's let it set for a little while. Let's let it set, calm down, and here in a little bit I can open it. That's kind of what Sabbath is. We're so shaken by just everything that our, our spiritual equilibrium and balance gets off. Sabbath is stopping and ceasing so that can reset. Again, last week, we talked about what Sabbath is in general. And let me just be clear with you, over the next couple of weeks and today, too, there's going to be a lot of repetition in this series. That's, that's by design. It's not just, oh, Kurt forgot what he said and he's saying it again. That does happen a lot. This is not one of those examples, okay? No, it's why? Because sometimes things are worth saying over and over. Because sometimes we need to hear them over and over for them to really start to settle in and sink in. And what we're really going to kind of do is come back to the same thing each week, but look at it from a different angle. So last week we looked at what Sabbath is and why rest is important in and of itself. Today, we're going to look more about why it's so important that we need to do it on a regular basis. We're going to look at why Sabbath needs to be part of our regular rhythm of life in everything that we do. And so just a few reasons for this. And I think that it would be wise of us to remember this as we try to practice Sabbath on a regular basis. The first reason that we said last week, Sabbath's not a luxury, it's a commandment, and it's a non-negotiable commandment. 
Sabbath is something that God told us to do, and we just read the commandment a moment ago in Exodus chapter 20, and it's something that we need to keep in, keep in mind. Um, yes, it is worth repeating and saying this over and over, and it's also worth remembering as Christians we don't get to pick and choose. As followers of Jesus, you don't get to pick and choose which commandments you want to follow. They are there for a reason. And that reason is that there's a principle behind each commandment. Think about this, parents in the room. When you tell your kids to do something, you're not telling them because you want them to be mindless robots just doing what you tell them. There's a reason behind this. I tell my kids all the time, there's a reason I told you not to do this. Or there's a reason that I told you to do this. I'm not a big I told you so kind of person, or as a parent, I'm not that way. But I want them to think, why did he tell me I can't do this? Now, when it comes to the commandments, Jesus actually kind of does this for us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus breaks down the commandments and takes them a step further. He says, you've heard it said not to murder somebody. I tell you, don't even hold hatred or anger in your heart. Settle your disputes with them. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look at other women lustfully. He, on and on, he, he mentioned several different times a commandment you have been told, but I tell you, have this instead. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, instead of just blanket saying, don't do this, come over here and look at this instead. That'll explain why we don't do this. That'll make you in your mind not even want to do this. You go through that list. Don't covet. Why? You know, because I want you to have contentment and gratitude in your heart for what you have. What would be the underlying principle to Sabbath? It's not, hey, just stop and not do anything. What's the underlying principle? It's rest and find refreshment and recharging and recalibration in God. I, I think when it comes to these principles, that it's hard to understand and experience God's blessings if you don't understand and follow the principles that go along with what he's telling us to do. And that's important because the second reason we should keep regular Sabbath is that the Sabbath is blessed. That's what he told us, right? Go back to verse 11 there of, of Exodus chapter 20. When he says, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. And what's he say he, do, he did? He blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. What's the key behind blessing this here? I think it's, it's interesting. When you look through the creation account, go to Genesis 1 and 2. God creates everything in the six days. He takes a rest. He creates mankind. Of all the things that he created, it says three times that he blessed something. Any guesses what those are? Okay, I'll tell you. The first one he blesses is the animals. He creates the animals, and then in, in Genesis 1.22, it says that God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and increase in your numbers. Okay? Remember that. Because what's next? He creates mankind. He blesses mankind. And what does he say to mankind? Be fruitful and increase in numbers. Notice in some, some repetition here. Okay? And then he blesses Sabbath. He creates the Sabbath day. He sets it aside and he blesses it. Now, he doesn't say be fruitful and, and increase that in number, but I think there's a correlation here. Because the three things that he creates, that he blesses, are, are, are of all the creation, the two living, breathing elements of creation, humans and the animal kingdom, and he creates the institution that connects heaven and earth. And he tells the first two to be fruitful, to increase in, in your number. Why does that tie to Sabbath, or how does that tie to Sabbath? Okay, bear with me for a second here. 
I heard this the other day and it kind of stuck with me, that there is a correlation between Sabbath and tithing. Here is what they meant by this. When we talk about tithing, and we do this every couple of years, we'll do a financial series. That's not something we beat the drum on all the time. But tithing, the principle behind that is we give God, we offer God 10% of what we have. Why? Because we believe that if we sacrifice that 10%, God will honor that and he'll bless our remaining 90% and stretch that and multiply that more than what we can do with our 100% on our own. And you've got plenty of people around here that would testify to that. I am one of them. I watched it with my mom in a stretch where it made no financial sense for her to tithe. To the penny, we met what we needed to pay. But she did it anyway, and we wound up with more than enough. And there's plenty of other stories like that out there. Okay? Keep that in mind. When it comes to Sabbath, this is almost like a tithe of our time. And we're not asking for 10%. God asks for one-seventh. That's roughly 14 to 15%. Some of you math majors might have that down a little bit more than I do. But one-seventh of your time, you're saying, God, I honor and trust and respect that you can take that other six-sevenths, that other 85% of my time, and make that more fruitful than I can make all seven on my own. There are some examples of this to why this not only works for, for people from a physical and mental and emotional and spiritual standpoint, but a financial standpoint as well too. Because I can name two corporations off the top of my head that regularly take Sundays off and they're thriving. I'm sure you can guess them too. One of them is Hobby Lobby, a place that I wish was closed seven days a week because we would save a lot of money if they did. Okay. Um, <laughs> And I'll be honest, I get sucked into that store too. Like I'm walking around, oh, that's actually kind of nice. That looks, this, this smells really nice in here. <laughs> smells like fall in here. Hobby Lobby was started in 1970 by a man named David Green. David Green grew up in a poor uh, preacher's family. And he had to beg and borrow and scrap to borrow $600 to start a picture frame business in his garage. But he, from the very beginning said, we're not going to be open on Sundays. I worship with my family on that day, and I want anybody who works for me in the future to be able to do the same. Today, that store, Hobby Lobby has over 900 stores in the USA. He sold, actually, he didn't sell it. He gave the corporation away last year, and his net worth is north of $15 billion today. The other one, most of you already said it. Some of you haven't said this name, but you'll remember that they're closed here in about 30 or 40 minutes when you go pull through the drive-thru and there's nobody there. You're like, Chick-fil-A, seriously, come on. I just need, just one Sunday, just one Sunday. I just, I need some of those, those strips today. Just, that's all I need. I need that big sweet tea today, right? Now, Chick-fil-A, from the very beginning, Truett Cathy founded the company and said from the very get-go, he worked in the, the restaurant industry, he worked hard seven days a week, he didn't like it, he said, we're going to be closed on Sundays regardless of what happens, and I want my employees to be able to worship or rest with their families. Exact same thing that Dan Green said years later. Guess where Chick-fil-A stands today among restaurants in America? If I were to ask you who are the, the highest grossing fast food restaurants in America today? By store, because if it's just in general, McDonald's is probably number one by a mile because there's like five billion of them, right? But you look at the list here, and I'm not going to put number one because you probably already know what that is, but look at these, these other, other four that are up here. This, again, this is per location. Uh, Chris, uh, Raising Cane's Krispy Kreme for some reason. I'm 
I don't get the fascination with Krispy Kreme. That's just me. That's another rant from their day. Shake Shack, Whataburger, um, all on there. You can see how much they earned. This was 2022, how much they earned per their location. So you know what number one is going to be, but anybody can guess what the number is going to be. Okay, go, go ahead and show number one here. They cleared by $1.2 million. Those others are open seven days a week. There's a gap between one and two is the same between two and four and almost between two and five. And think about this for just a moment here. Because you can just do some simple math. Sundays, it's well known across the restaurant industry, they generate well more on Sundays than any other day throughout the week. And yet Chick-fil-A does not open on Sundays and they never have in their however many, like 70 year history. Okay? Now, just do some common sense math here. Let's say they did make the same on Sundays they make the other days of the week. You can just say they would make $7 million per store. As of about three weeks ago, okay, the most recent number I saw, there are 2,951 Chick-fil-A locations across the U.S. alone, none of which are open on Sunday, including the one that is inside the Atlanta Falcons football stadium. Guess what day of the week the Atlanta Falcons play? Sunday. And that location is not open when they're there playing. I guess it's there for the occasional Monday night game or something. But of all those locations, if you just did common, common math and say, okay, well, they're going to make $7 million a year per store now. By 2,951 stores, that's 2.951, and you could probably very easily conservatively say $3 billion of potential revenue that they're leaving on the table each year. There's not an economist on this planet. There's not a CPA on this planet that would say, that's a good idea. Leave that $3 billion alone. And yet, by $1.2 million, Chick-fil-A is well ahead of the rest of the pack. Why? I think it's very simple. God takes their six days that they labor and he multiplies them because they honor the one he asked them not to. Now, if this works with fast food... What's it do for your soul? What's it do for your life? And let's get even more practical. What does it do for your productivity? If you work a job that requires a lot of mental attention especially, or a lot of physical attention especially, what does that do for you? If you trust that God can make those, those five or six days in the office more fruitful and you stop answering emails on the weekends. You stop taking phone calls on the weekends. You stop answering text messages because that can wait till Monday. Now, the examples I just gave you here are Sunday. And, and I think in our head, as, as kind of this Christian culture that we've had in our country for, for decades and centuries, the idea is that Sunday is our Sabbath day. It doesn't have to be Sunday. Okay? Understand this. The important thing is that you do it, not exactly when it is. That starts to get into legalism, that you make it an exact specific day and time. For you, the important thing is that you make one. For me, I try to make mine on, mine on Fridays. Um, there's some weeks I have to flip it. Some weeks I need to take a Monday off, and so I'll work Friday instead. But, but for the most part, Friday, and I'm off Saturday as well too, but Friday really is my day. And I, I've always got to answer one email in the morning from, from Stacy, and that's it. And then I shut it down from there. So some of you may email me, some of you may, may text me. I may not respond to that on Friday. If you've been that way, there's, there's your reason why. Not because I'm ignoring you. Well, actually, it is because I'm ignoring you, I guess. Let's be honest about that. But Sundays, you know, some, some people have to work Sundays. I'm one of them. 
And I'll be honest, I love this job. I love you all. I'm honored that I get to do this. I'm honored and I hope I get to do this for a very, very long time. But sometimes you people are exhausting. (laughs) I get home on Sunday afternoon and I I am worthless for a few hours. And I'm not going to point fingers at at which side of the room is more exhausting than the other side. But, you know, it just is at times, right? Right? Now, if you've got a job that requires you to work Sunday, pick another day. And let me challenge you with this. If you've got a job that doesn't allow you a day of Sabbath each week, talk to your boss. Try to work something out. And if you can't work something out, maybe look for a new job. Because we need that day that we can take a break. We are commanded to do it, and God blessed us, or blessed that day. And I think he will bless that when we are, are faithful to it. And you may say, well, I don't even know what to do on a Sabbath day. Well, we'll talk more about that next week, so don't miss next week. And we'll talk about the week after, so don't miss that one either. But here's just some real quick ideas. You want to figure out what can I do on a Sabbath day. Take a nap. Go for a bike ride. Go for a walk in the park. Uh, Friday, Titus and I went up to uh, ride deer hunt. We started clearing, clearing the land out. He, my five-year-old went with me for that. He was major help. Um, <laughs> running a rake that was big. Stacy watched him. He was big time help up there. I think by the time you got there, he was asleep in the back of the Jeep. But um, no, find things to do like that. Go shopping. Go, go for a drive. Have sex with your spouse. Let me be very clear about that. With your spouse. Some of you weren't paying attention. You're like, hey, wait, hang on. Wait, wait, what? Okay, I like this place. We're coming back next week. <laughs> Enjoy the things God gave us to enjoy. That's what you do on a Sabbath. That's what you, you don't get. Yes, there are going to be church emergencies that I may have to attend to. But by and large, on a Friday, I'm like, hey, if you've got something, call Tracy or call Stacy or call Mark because they're going to be here. They take their Sabbath another day. But for me, this is mine. God blessed it. And because God blessed the Sabbath, the third reason why we need to keep it regularly is the Sabbath is holy. He blessed it and he made it holy. And we would be wise to remember that. When something is made holy, we need to also make it holy. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I've said many times, God is holy and we are not, but we are called to be holy. God is perfect and we are not, we are called to try to be that way. What's that that mean? It means that we can't possibly be perfect, but we need to honor what God has told us to honor. We need to hold in high esteem what God has told us to hold in high esteem. And the Sabbath is most certainly one of those. And you need to understand this. You, You probably already do, but there's always consequence for disobedience. In every walk of life, in everything that we do, there's always consequence for disobedience. So what's the consequence for not keeping the Sabbath? I think this is actually more simple than we realize. When you don't keep Sabbath, you're actually slowly killing yourself. When you never stop, you're actually slowly killing yourself. Several years ago, uh, National Geographic did a survey And keep in mind, this is National Geographic. This is no Christian organization. This is not a church-based or faith-based 
publication that did, did, uh, did this study. But they were doing a study on the healthiest groups of people or civilizations around the world. And in the U.S., the healthiest group of people that they found are Seventh-day Adventists, a, a, a faith-based organization, faith-based group, uh, which when we lived in Oregon, some of our closest friends were, were Seventh-day Adventists. And what they found is, on average, Seventh-day Adventists live 10 years longer than the average American. And part of this is just part of their faith is the respect they put on what they consider to be the temple of God, which is our bodies. So they make a big point about eating well. They make a big point about exercise. And of course, based you can tell by their name, they, they observe and practice the, the Sabbath to a highly, highly religious level. But just think about this, what we can learn from them for just a moment here. Because they, by the law of their faith, take one day a week and, and abstain from all forms of work. Think about this for a moment. They live on average 10 years longer. The average American lifespan right now is about 73 to 75 years. If you were to take one out of every seven days for 73 to 75 years, you get 3,822 uh, days based on the average American lifespan right now. How many years is that? It's a little over 10 years. Sometimes people want to see things in writing for faith to make sense for them. And sometimes the math just adds up. Sometimes the math just adds up. If their average lifespan is 10.5 years longer from observing the Sabbath, well, that's one day a week for 70, about 75 years. Folks, it is not just a cool suggestion to take a Sabbath. It's not just a nice hard-earned day off. It's a commandment that God gave us that is holy and blessed. And it's something that we need to be very, very wise to keep. It's something we need to be very, very wise to file away into our hearts and into our souls. He didn't just invite us to do this so that we could just kick back and relax. So we could rest and recharge and be refocused on him every single week. Let me give you a takeaway challenge today. It's very simple. For the rest of 2023, commit to taking one day a week off. For the rest of this year, one day a week. You don't do anything that might be considered important outside of you and your soul and God and maybe those closest to you. You want to hang out with friends? Great, go hang out with friends. We're going to, again, talk more about the how next week and the what next week. But commit every, every week for the rest of this year, for the remaining four plus months of this year, to one day of Sabbath a week. And, and on January 1st, answer those same 10 questions and see if you answer them the same way you answered them today. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this gift that you've given us. It's a hard gift sometimes, God, to put into practice and into motion. But God, I pray you would always keep it on our minds why we should do this. And not just to do it, but to do it regularly. Why we should do this every week. Why it's not just a fun suggestion, but God, something that we should follow. God, I pray for those who are struggling to find a time and a place to put it in. God, show them. Show them how. Or help them to find an avenue that, that maybe it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Whatever day works, God. 
a day that they can block out and just enjoy the fruits that you've already given them. God, a day that they can enjoy the gifts that you have given them. And that that time and energy and efforts they have would be multiplied because of it. God, we're thankful today for, for you, for all the many gifts that you've given us and the blessings that you've given us. We pray today in Jesus' name. Just a few short years ago, we were all almost forced into rest. But as a sports fan, that was a huge deal for me. Kansas was on their way. They were on their way. They were favored to win the national championship. And then an NBA, NBA player tested positive for COVID and the world shut down. The United States shut down at that point in time. The Triple Crown races were canceled. The Indianapolis 500 was gone. March Madness was gone. NBA playoffs, gone. So in their place to fill TV because nobody was at the stations, nothing was happening in the world besides that one big pandemic. Many networks began televising various sporting events of classic of classic gender, uh, not genders, of classic, of, of the past. They showed boxing matches featuring Muhammad Ali, which were very interesting to watch for a, for a younger person like me. World Series games from past years and previous Super Bowls. I remember one Sunday night sitting at my in-law's house and Super Bowl three came on. Now, for a little background, this is the Baltimore Colts and New York Jets. This is the game where Joe Namath guaranteed victory. Even though his team was underdogs by 19 points. But we know how that ended. His team won. I knew how it was going to end, but I still watched the game. It's a little different than watching a, a modern game, but it, it was fun to watch. It's fun to watch past events like this, whether they're sporting events or whether they're other things. It's why we have home videos. It's why you keep an iCloud storage to save all your pictures and all your videos. But here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, we know the outcome already. Even though uh, we know how world history will end, we know that this is where this is all headed, even though right now it might seem chaotic, disturbing, and discouraging. Maybe even the Apostle John had a forced Sabbath. Banished to an island of Patmos because of his faith, he was given a view of the future unlike any other. That vision became the basis of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, which describes the grand finale, awaiting us as faithful Christians of what that's going to look like. Though followers of Jesus in today's culture may appear to be losers or underdogs, our values are scorned, we are guaranteed a triumph. An eternity with, Lord, with the Lord and his people. The outcome is certain. And as an angel in Revelation told John, these words are trustworthy and true. They were then 
and they still are now. So as you take communion today, as it says in 1 Corinthians, there's two parts of it. We remember what God did. We remember what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. How his body was broken. His blood was shed. But in verse 26, it also tells us to look to the future. To look forward to his return. And then again, John did the same. Having that example at the Last Supper, John did the same in the book of Revelation. In the very first chapter, he says, remembering the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and who is also coming with the clouds when every eye will see him. John knew history's outcome, and so do we. Let's remember that today, looking at the past and looking towards the future. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the past, and we thank you for your act on the cross. We also thank you for your promise of coming again in the clouds. Help us to remember those two parts as we celebrate communion today. In the name of Jesus, amen.